Progressive Christianity. Man, that sounds so good. Progressive. Like like moving ahead or cutting edge. New and improved. <laughs> okay, so I want to be aware of what's going on in the church around the world, but I also want to make sure that it's good. How should I do that? How can I be certain of what is true? On today's episode, we're going to be looking at something called progressive Christianity to see whether it is really Christian and what we can learn from it. So be right back. Welcome to WCKS, where we can't keep silent about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the channel. I'm so happy that you joined me today. My name's Michael Russell, I'm your host, and I have so much to talk about. If I may, I'd like to take a minute to announce a new segment on the WCKS YouTube channel called Ask. This is a new segment with a question-answer format that I felt led to develop. Uh, the Holy Spirit really answered and solidified my prayers by leading me to the Sermon on the Mount in Acts chapter se- or Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. And as I was confirmed in that and thinking, what should I call it? What's an acronym? Ask, seek, knock, A-S-K. Looky there. So the title of it is Ask, and I'm really excited about it. Um, The plan is for that to be released on Tuesdays. While at the same, um, on the same channel, I have a five in the word, which is a five to 10 minute devotion. Uh, looking at certain passages of scripture that will be released on Thursdays and then this podcast is released on Sundays. So pray with me, pray with me, pray with me that God would protect me, um, give me wisdom and endurance as I you know uh, endeavor to do what I believe he's calling me to do on this channel or these channels. I also want to take a few, um, pieces of info from Sam Storms, who is a brother in the Lord. I love him to death. I wish I met him. I wish I knew him in person. Uh, he has a podcast, and Sam does a great job in keeping them to 30 minutes or less. So I'm going to endeavor to do the same. But because of some of the topics that we're going to be talking about and their depth, there are times that we just have to do a part two, part three type thing. So we will work this together. Uh, Today is an example of that. We are going to be talking about this movement known as progressive Christianity. You know, what is it? No doubt if you live in America and you've heard the word progressive, you're probably immediately going to the political arena and thinking of progressive liberalism or something. Yet, There is definitely overlap between these two movements, but we're specifically wanting to talk about progressive Christianity. Now, this study, this this episode was prompted by an article I came across called The Five Five Signs Your Church uh, Might Be Headed Towards Progressive Christianity by Alyssa Childers. As I jumped into the rabbit hole of, you know, discovering what this is, I was alarmed at seeing it, yet I was convicted as well. Forgive me, maybe I'm 
one of the guys out there that's under a rock, but this is the first I've heard of this movement. Uh, but it's not brand new. It's been around for a while. Um, the previous kind of title that it had was called the Emerging Church or Emergent Church, uh, probably mid 2000s. Uh, but in recent years, it has been, you know, has come to be known as Progressive Christianity. So, Miss Childer's article, which I have linked in the comments section, and her five signs include the following, and I quote, There is a lower view of the Bible. That's sign number one. Number two, feelings are emphasized over facts. Number three, essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. Number four, historic terms are redefined. And number five, the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. Now that is a buzzword, especially today. So I'm going to be looking at these summary statements, but also want to call upon those espousing this view to hear it from their own mouths or own writings. So as I dove into the rabbit hole, I want to say at the outset that I am going to be representing the Reformed Christian view of Christianity, and in this case, in this one sign of what the Bible says. So I want to start by level setting that with a quote um, from an article called What Every Christian Should Know About the Protestant Reformation by Dave Jenkins. And the subtitle was The Purpose of the Protestant Reformation. Okay, this is the primary impetus or, or, or hinging matter that Martin Luther and the other leaders that made up the Reformation or the Protestant Reformation were we're dealing with. So let me quote from that article. The distinguishing marks of the Protestant Reformation is in the five slogans known as the solas. Sola scripture, scripture alone. Sola Christus, Christ alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola fidei, fide, which is faith alone. And sola deo gloria, which is the glory of God alone. One of the main reasons the Protestant Reformation occurred was the abuse of spiritual authority. The most critical authority the church has ever, I'm sorry, the most critical authority the church has is the Lord in his written revelation. If anyone wants to hear God speak, they must read the word of God. And if they are going to hear him audibly, they must read the word of God out loud. The central issue of the Reformation was the authority of the Lord in his word. When the Reformers proclaimed Scripture alone, they expressed a commitment to the authority of Scripture as the reliable, sufficient, and trustworthy worthy word of God. The Reformation was a crisis over which authority should have priority, the Church or Scripture. Protestants are not against church history, which helps Christians understand their faith's roots. Instead, what Protestants mean by sola scriptura or sola scripture 
is that we are first and foremost committed to the Word of God and all it teaches because we are convinced it is the reliable, sufficient, and trustworthy Word of God. With Scripture as our foundation, Christians can learn from the Church Fathers, as Calvin and Luther did, but Protestants do not place the Church Fathers or Church tradition above the Word of God. At stake in the Reformation was the central issue of who is authoritative, the Pope, the Church's traditions or Church councils, personal feelings, or Scripture alone. Rome claimed the Church's authority lay with Scripture and traditions at the same level. This has made Scripture and the Pope at the same level as Scripture and Church councils. The Protestant Reformation sought to bring change to these convictions by placing authority with the Word of God alone. A commitment to Scripture alone is a rediscovery of the doctrines of grace because any return to Scripture leads to the teaching of God's sovereignty in His saving grace. Okay, and I'll end the quote there. So that is a baseline of where I am going to be coming from in the context of the Word of God. Okay? Now, Jenkins notes, the same guy that we just read, Jason notes, the church is always in need of reformation around the Word of God. Even in the New Testament, Bible readers discover Jesus rebuking Peter and Paul correcting the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians. Since we are, as Martin Luther said, at the same time both saint and sinner, and the church is full of people, the church is always in need of reformation around the Word of God. So that's the key premise here. We always need to be reforming, however, it's reforming around the Word of God. So, if we look at the Word of God and we're saying, oh, we need to reform by changing the way we do things or changing what those doctrines say or dismissing sections of Scripture because they just don't apply today, I mean, look at our culture, things like that, then we totally miss the whole point of the Reformation. And in my estimation, the first century church, we need to rest in God's word as sovereign, as infallible, inerrant. And we're going to touch on that at the end of this particular episode. So that is a great summary article, the one I just quoted from. It's in the links below. I do encourage you to read it. But now, that said, let's look at an article called The Phoenix Affirmation, Full Version which is a progressive Christian church and their affirmation to the beliefs it states under, uh, you know, the, the six, seven, eight different affirmations in the document. Now, I came across this while doing research, looking at a progressive church's website and their kind of their doctrinal statement or their position statement as progressive Christians. But then they point me, point us to this document as go, you know, go read the Phoenix affirmation and you'll know what we believe. This is a much more academic and, and uh, scholarly, I guess you would argue, uh, position on the progressive Christian movement. So since we're talking right now about um, Childer's 
um, comment about the first sign is there is a lower view of the Bible. Let's look at affirmation number two from the Phoenix Affirmation document, which talks about God's word. And I am quoting, it says, Listening for God's word, which comes through daily prayer and meditation, through studying the ancient testimonies which we call scripture, and through attending to God's present activity in the world. And then they reference 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, which says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And they also reference 1 Corinthians 13.12, which says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It's very interesting that they reference 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, which is clear that all scripture is breathed out by God. So if they do have a diminished view of the Bible, that's curious to me. But I continue to read their affirmation now. Quote, As Christians, we listen for God's word in the, pre in the living presence of the Holy Spirit, praying every day and discerning God's present activ activity in our world. We also study and revere the ancient records which we call Scripture, recognizing that they have been formed within distinct historical and cultural contexts, yet have been informed by the Spirit of God, which transcends all ages and times. Most of all, we seek the meaning of salvation, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, as it is presented in the scriptures and discerned in daily life. And I'll stop the quote there. So I'm a bit concerned with the wording that they use that says, as Christians, we listen for God's word in the living presence of the Holy Spirit, praying every day and discerning God's present activity in the world. And then this is my concern. We also study and revere the ancient records, which we call scripture, recognizing that they have been formed within distinct historical and cultural contexts. So my concern is they may take the approach that, yeah, that was what was written for those people back then because their culture was like this. Our culture is different, so we can't really apply those to us today or something along those lines. I don't know for sure yet. I'm just building a case here. So when we talk about interpreting of scripture, interpretation of scripture, we need to have some guides on how we do that. That method or set of guides or science is known as hermeneutics. And from Luther, Martin Luther, during the Reformation, he espoused what, what became known as a grammatical historical hermeneutic. And I'm going to quote a little excerpt from um, a, a site that you'll see also in the link below that's talking about grammatical historical hermeneutic and what it is. And I quote, each Bible passage 
had one basic meaning, which was firmly rooted in historical truth and related accurately according to the common principles of human language. Thus, it was historical, related, real, interconnected historical events that must be acknowledged and understood before the various teachings of the Bible can make sense or have application. And grammatical, using language the way any normal person would, this grammatical historical hermeneutic is absolutely vital, for it tethers the truth of the scriptures to real historical events that have a real impact on our lives. And it gives us a way to study the scriptures with confidence, according to well-established dictates of human language. End quote. So I do not mean that their language of formed within distinct historical and cultural context is a slight against grammatical or historical approach. Rather, I believe they are going to use it to suggest yeah, that, that's what was needed then, or that's the context then. We have a different context we're living in, which I'm not arguing that we are in a different context. What my concern is, is that we can't alter what Scripture says and the context it was given. We take that context and understanding and make application to us today. And where our context deviates, it's not an opportunity for us to mess with God's Word we need to understand how do we need to reform, going back to the Reformation thing, our lives to come back into alignment with what God's Word says. Okay? Now, I'm going to continue in the affirmation. So I'm now back to the Phoenix affirmation. And I quote, We affirm that the path of Jesus is found where Christ followers engage in daily prayer and meditation, as well as personal and community study and an interpretation of Scripture, as central ways God's continuing voice is discerned in everyday life. I'll end quote there. So they suggest that the path of Jesus is found where Christ's followers do certain things, namely engage in daily prayer, meditation, personal and community study, and interpretation of Scripture. Now that, to me, sounds like works to become righteous or saved. Okay? They call it the path of Jesus is found. So maybe that doesn't mean salvation, but that's what I'm assuming it to mean. And it sounds to me, when you find it and you engage in these things to show it or develop it or earn it, it sounds like works to me. But I continue. Quote, we confess. Now, this is a section where it sounds like when we make a mistake, this is what we would do. And it says, quote, we confess that we have moved away from Christ's path when we have claimed that God's word is restricted to that which may be contained within a written document, or that either the recording of God's word in Scripture or the interpretation of it are infallible. Further, we have moved away from the path 
when we have allowed the mere fact of Scripture's fallibility or our own to dissuade us from seeking God's word in Scripture, prayer, and reflection on daily life. End quote. So, what they're saying is, you've moved away from the path of Christ if you believe that the Bible, a bound 66 books, is the word of God and, and nothing else is, or that it's infallible. So if you believe that, you've fallen off the path of Christ. Christ's path, their words, not mine. In addition, they say, in essence, but now that you know that scriptures are fallible, as you are, you and I are fallible, and scripture, according to them, is fallible, if you use that as an excuse to not pursue God through scripture, through prayer and reflection on daily life, then you've also moved off Christ's path. So if you believe it's infallible and it's only bound, you know, God's word is bound in the 66 books of the Bible, then you're veering from Christ's path. And if you believe, or if you recognize that the Bible is fallible and it pushes you off of pursuing God and studying, then you've fallen off Christ's path as well. So, now the Reformed perspective, the Bible is God's word, infallible and inerrant. So that's now the contrast that I'm going to bring here. And I'm going to quote from Ligonier Ministries, um, 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 a um, article that is in the link, uh, the de uh, description below, but it says, quote, to confess that the Bible is infallible is to confess that the scriptures are incapable of teaching any error. Taken in itself, this is a term that strongly presents the perfection of scripture. The prophets and apostles not only did not error, they could not error when writing scripture. And I jumped down a little bit. Finally, there is inerrancy of Scripture. Inerrancy is a natural outflowing of infallibility in the tradition or uh, traditional Orthodox sense. Since the authors could not err when writing Scripture, the Bible contains no affirmation of anything that is contrary to fact. Inerrancy is a quality of the original texts of the Bible. Translations may err, but original manuscripts penned by the prophets and apostles do not. And then I jump down to another segment of the quote. Today there is an assault on the inerrancy of Scripture that tells us the Bible is a mixture of both truth and error. Ultimately, however, this reflects a low view not only of Scripture, but also of God. If God is the source of all truth, and his word is truth, John 17, 17, to say that he gave us a Bible full of errors is to cast doubt on his character. Inerrancy does not mean the Bible speaks with scientific precision, but it does mean that what it does teach is wholly true. And I'll end the quote there. So this is just the starter of Alyssa Childer's Five Signs, 
we see a mag uh, significant issue just in the one about the Bible's authority. We'll end here because we definitely are not going to have any more time. We're out of time for this segment, but we'll pick up where we left off. And I encourage you, read the articles in the description down below. Kind of get ahead of it. Pray about it. Maybe you are caught up in this. Maybe you do not necessarily believe the Bible is the infallible, inerrant Word of God. I would love to hear from you. You can email me, wecan'tkeepsilent at gmail.com. Leave a comment down below. I'd love to have that conversation with you and carry on and dig in to find what the truth is. Together, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And until next time, be blessed. I appreciate you joining me today for this episode. Please follow the channel and share it with others. And join me for the next post. Until then, be blessed.